This is the Glass is Half Full podcast, the podcast that explores the experiences of mixed and third culture kids. Each month, hosts Marcel and Jane will discuss their experiences on a subject or invite a guest to gain new insight on a particular subject. Today, we have a guest. Yay! What is his name? Hello, everyone. My name is Josh. All right. So Josh. Thanks. Thanks for coming along, Josh. Pleasure to be on here. So we have a set of questions for Josh. Mm-hmm. So first, I wanted to hear like your background, what kind of half you are, where you grew up, and stuff like that. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning. I was born in Hong Kong to a uh, to my dad who's from Hong Kong and my mother who's from Japan. Uh, lived in Hong Kong until I was 12 years old before I moved to Australia and I've been here ever since which is nine years ago now yeah awesome that, that's a very rough overview of um where I come from yes your genes yeah do you want me to go into maybe like my Japanese side specifically yeah, why not? Yeah, so where, so that's my mom's side. That's actually fairly international because, well, my mom ended up in Hong Kong and then her sister ended up in the Netherlands. So we're quite spread out. Nice. But uh, mom was born in Yokohama, actually. Oh, represent. Yep. Kind of go up. And she uh, moved around a bit to. Um, eventually Gifukeng and then a small country town um, over there but now my grandma's moved to Nagoya where she's retired and I go back and visit her every now and then and um, I think that's it for my Japanese roots yeah so do you feel that like you are more Hong Kong Hong Kongese or Japanese? Is it Hong Kongese? <laughs> I thought it's like Hong Kong. Yeah. So the the funny thing is, there's actually no official word for a person who's from Hong Kong, okay. because well, ethnically we're Chinese, although culturally and well, culturally and historically, at least in recent history, we are a bit different. But um, we like to call ourselves Hong Kongers. So. Um, it's an interesting case for me because my although my dad was born in Hong Kong and was raised there for the early parts of his childhood, my grandparents from my dad's side actually came from um, mainland China. So, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit of a mix in terms of the culture on my dad's side. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, sorry. Going back to your question on whether I feel more on my Hong Kong side or Japanese side. Well, I think a little bit more on the Japanese side, just because of um, things in day-to-day life that I would immerse myself in that Mm -hmm. would make me feel my connection to Japan. So um, the big one right now, I think Marcel also knows is following Japanese football and specifically Japanese football players who are in the, 
national team, Samurai Blue, and also playing in um, international clubs such as, you know, Brighton in the Premier League for Mitomakaru, as well as many others that I'm keeping an eye on. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, that's not to say that I don't feel a connection to my Hong Kong side. I mean, I was there until I was 12. I went to a local primary school. Um, I still speak Cantonese with my dad. And um, I like, I've actually gotten a lot of Cantonese memes on my Instagram <laughs> recently. Really? But um, yeah, it's a fairly even split between both, but I'd say tips a little bit more to the Japanese side. Interesting. Yeah. And how does that transfer in terms of the logistics? Like, do you have citizenship for which countries and... Yep. How does it work in the future? Okay, right. So um, I still have my Japanese citizenship. Um, Hong Kong, that one's actually expired. <laughs> and I haven't been back there in about four years now. But um, And I have my Australian citizenship. But yeah, mm. it, it is a bit tricky with the uh, Japanese side because technically we're not allowed uh, dual citizenship. But... <laughs> Yeah, if, if we um if I renew my sort of my passport while I'm in Japan, it's a bit of a legal gray area apparently. So um so and it, for any of the listeners for you out there who are you know wondering what to do to keep that Japanese citizenship, renew it in while you're in Japan, but you didn't hear that from me. <laughs> and Josh isn't even his real name. They don't need to know that. <laughs> His name is Carlos, by the way. Hey. Um, <laughs> yeah. But mm. interesting. And so you've come from that sort of, we well, obviously Hong Kong and Japanese background with a bit more of international behind each mm-hmm. in the mainland China behind your dad's side and like your mom's side. There's like the, what was it, your aunt? My aunt, who is over in the Netherlands. Netherlands. Shout out to our Dutch listeners. We know you <laughs> listen to it. Um, but and do you, do you feel like that kind of international background in your family affected you in the way you see your nationality? Hmm. Very interesting. Before I answer that question, shout out to the Netherlands. I visit my aunt every now and then. Beautiful country. <laughs> yeah. So, um, my internationalness let's say yeah my family is quite well traveled Mm. so i do have a lot of international experiences just visiting countries um but also while i was um growing up in hong kong i had a lot of um neighbors who were foreigners i just lived in that kind of area where actually i would um one of the neighbors who i would play with the most as a child was actually Australian. He's now down in Adelaide. And we also had some French and British. So French. Yeah. So outside of my Hong Kong and Japanese roots, I just had connections from Mm. when I was young to people from all over the world. So it just, I guess once you have that much exposure, it kind of, reduces the actual significance of you know your nationality Mm. or 
whatever mm-hmm. such and such because everyone I came into contact with was so different and unique with their backgrounds that I sort of stopped caring. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like that's something that not too many people would experience early on, maybe. Yep. Yep. Um, I would say that it would be slightly more common among the Hafi population compared to somebody who grew up in a monoculture or society or like a situation yep i'd say <clears throat> but yeah that's um i didn't know that that's pretty cool yeah um so do you feel like a clear line between your hong kong identity and japanese identity because as like half american half japanese i feel a clear difference between my american identity and like my identity when i'm speaking japanese so i just wanted to ask you like do you feel a clear difference between those two countries or that identity? Oh, that's a tricky question because to start, how would you define identity? Because I think that means very different things for different mm. people. Yeah, how do you define identity? Okay, for myself personally, um, if I were to ident- like, you know, feel my identity was, say, one country over another, to me that would mean that I share the cultural values of that nationality more than the other Mm. um as well as yeah mostly to do with values i think and certain cultural characteristics in terms of how you would think i guess so Mm. that would be my definition of cultural identity or like identity based on you know which half of my ancestry i guess yeah how would you two define like identity based on country i remember did we talk about this before in a prior podcast or i'm not sure i think we talked about something similar something similar yes and i'm trying to recollect what i said before and this might have been different but for and I, I think what you said, I agree with a lot. And for me, I think it's it's a country or location where I don't feel uncomfortable in. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel comfortable and I feel like I belong. And for me, it feels like that comes with time spent in that country. Right. So for me, I spent 19 years in Japan. Mm. And like, especially like the neighborhood I grew up in, it's just, you know, it's just home. I, I, I went through that, you know, the roads walking to school every single day. And, and I grew up and, you know, went through all my teenage life in that area and in general if you generalize it to that sort of country as japan i feel that identity because that's where i spend most of my time and i feel comfortable there (laughs) um i do feel like because it's it's related to the time you spend it can change you know i've spent about two years 
almost in Australia now, like living here. And I've gotten used to it. Some parts of it, like in the beginning when I would take the bus to uni or something, um, it would feel very weird because in in Australia, or at least in the area that I live, the buses, they don't tell you what stops are coming up. Mm. Um, so you have to use like an app on your phone or just basically your your memory to try and figure yeah. out where which bus stop is coming up next and what point in time you have to press the button to get off. And when you get on the bus, you have to like raise your hand, like hail the driver unless or else like they won't stop for you. Whereas, yeah. you know, in Japan, you've got the you've got the Dingbo Kejibong and like in the bus and the, <laughs> the announcer be like like announcing um which bus stop is coming up next and everything. So that was, you know, that's something that was a discomfort, quote unquote, <laughs> for me. And that's what I wasn't really used to. And that's probably why I didn't identify too much as an Australian back then. But now after spending a lot of time here and you know, it's not all about bus <laughs> public transport, <laughs> but like, you know, the way people say things, the culture, like the idioms and everything i've started to get used to it so i think it is very cultural like you said josh mm -hmm. and for me that comes from time spent if that interesting i don't know if that's like that makes sense as an answer but that's what i came up with right now that's Thank you. really interesting. i do see that i could you could get used to the way of life in a country when you're half but I've never felt like I belong to the Japanese people oftentimes because people treat me differently because of the way I look mm -hmm. so yeah I do feel comfortable living here but I never feel like I really belong to the people yeah yeah that's true and that's why like we have two identities right because like I don't know for me yeah. and I agree like I sometimes was treated differently um well a lot of the times I was treated differently um sometimes in good ways sometimes in bad ways so that's why I would feel like I wouldn't be fully identi identifying or finding that identity in Japan but that sort of the people maybe not but the place itself and the atmosphere and the environment the funiki <laughs> we, we talked about the funiki um last episode <laughs> but um that i really feel like home mm. in japan yeah very interesting um i'd like to add to my well japanese identity but um first of all i've never lived in japan for more than a month and a half yes that was the longest length i've stayed in japan to visit my grandma as well as um do some traveling yeah. and i also wasn't that right before COVID? Yes, yes, that was. Yeah. That that's a full three and a half years ago now. I would really like to go back, but I haven't had the time to yet. Um, but the second thing is um going back to what Jane said was the perception of people in Japan. Mm. So although I do look more Asian than um you two because of my 
Hong Kong and Japanese mix. I still look very much Chinese and that's also how the people in Japan see me. So uh, uh, their first impression would be, ah, Chinese person. So I guess I have, well, let's put it this way. Let's call it a problem or maybe something that you two see as something in the way of me um, identifying as Japanese, but I guess how I reconcile those two with my Japanese identity is first of all, with the living in Japan thing, I haven't lived there long, but I try to look into, you know, what life in Japan's like. I try to soak it in as much as I can while I'm there. Um, I'm always asking my mom questions. Um, I like to make, um, you know, Japanese friends who have lived in Japan. And um, I know I'm not not quite there yet, but just trying to get a better understanding of, you know, what living in Japan is like. And I really like that. And the second thing about how other people see me is I've never been one to really care about how other people might perceive me. So for me personally, that's maybe not some something that's occurred to me as a barrier to my Japanese identity as such. But again, that's also different if you're getting that perception of being a foreigner when you're living there every day, I guess. So in some ways, it's um, same but different. Mm. Wait, I have a question. When, when, pe- when Japanese people meet you, they think you're Chinese before you even speak. Yes, yes, I do. Really? Oh, yeah. Really? So um you guys know Biku Kamera, right? Yeah. Biku Kamera. Yep. So for the listeners who don't know, um it's a large um electric appliances. Yes, electronic place. appliance store. Uh it's a chain you'll find them all over the major cities in Japan. And when I was visiting uh, Nagoya, where my grandmother is, um which by the way, attracts a lot of um, Chinese tourists who uh, do a lot of shopping. I can see where this goes. Yeah. <laughs> so the Biku Kamada store actually has, um, if you walk in, that they'll have a list of their customer service staff with the languages that they speak. And half the staff actually speak Chinese. And as I'm browsing the store and looking through things, like the Chinese speaking staff would actively approach me and start speaking to me in Chinese. Yeah. Just off the bat, straight away. That that is the immediate assumption that I'm another tourist from China who's here to shop for quality Japanese electronics. Yeah. Shout out to Japanese electronics. Yes, <laughs> stuff. Um, but there's that and also general um sightseeing spots where they have tour guides or handing out pamphlets and stuff. Um, mm. yeah, Chinese as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Interesting. And this is pre-COVID, right? Yes, that's because right. Because I feel like, well, for me at least, yeah, like, I wouldn't say you look full Japanese, but maybe your eyes. Like, if you had a mask on, that you could kind of slip past the, the xenophobic filter. You think? I, I think so. I don't know what Jane would think. Is Jane's um, seen Josh for the first time. What do you think, Jane? Um... I, I think he looks Chinese. Like if you were, if you asked me to choose, I would say you look Chinese. But 
I've met Japanese people who look very Chinese or very Korean. Yeah. Mm. I don't understand like the confidence that Japanese people have when they talk to you in Chinese. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> it was it was quite strange. It was quite a shock at the time, but yeah. um, no, I I've just accepted it, and I mean it makes sense. I'm yeah. I'm fifty percent Chinese ethnically, <laughs> so I can't blame them. I think it's the nose. Um, for those of you listening, I have a <laughs> I don't even know how to describe, but it just doesn't look very Japanese. It's a cute button nose. <laughs> Thank you, Jane. <laughs> it depends, like, literally on the person. Mm. Like, when we had this conversation between myself and Jane, it was a lot of different ideas. And now, with you, it's, it's completely different as well. And I really appreciate that. And I, I feel like every single happy person with between Japan and any country would have completely different views. And that's mm. why we do this podcast. Because it's yeah. cool. I have another question. Yes, go on. Please. There is a lot of history between China and Japan, not a lot of bad history, in my opinion, that make some people hate the other country. Like, have you ever felt like, have you ever had any experience, any hardships from like those, that kind of history and people who may be racist or who may hate the other side because of that? Mm, thank you. I was actually expecting this question. I was actually talking to Marcel about this earlier. Mm -hmm. um, all of my problems on that front have been external. None of it's been internal um, because internally I understand very well that it's uh, not my fault, not my parents' fault. Um, but um, there's only really been one probably episode or major experience of that issue if you can call it an issue, is in primary school when we were having our history lesson on um, World War II as well as leading up to it, um, Japan's invasion and occupation of China. So put uh, if you have a room full of nine-year-olds, 30 of them, they all know you're half Japanese, and then you get, you know, a class that's like, 40 minutes long, you know, for like three times a week. And then that whole week or two is on um, the horrific Japanese crimes on um, the people of China. You know, you start to get a bit of resentment from some of their, you know, kids back then. You know, kids are kids. They don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, some some mean comments, um, some insults to my mom, which I didn't take kindly. I got into a fight because of that. Yeah. Ended up smashing a kid's head against the wall. Um, I had a pretty bad temper as a child. But yeah, so that's my experiences regarding probably that yeah, yeah ugly part of history, I guess. I assume that because you wouldn't know the perspective that's been taught in Japan. And I think, Jane, did you learn the history while you were in the US of like World War II and everything? No. Okay. Because I'm really curious of how that part of history is portrayed in each country. Because we all kind of had a part in it, but different roles, right? Japan, like China and America. How, like, what, what was that, the sentiment 
I can already assume. What, what, how were how was the that period of time taught? Mm, well, <laughs> it, it's hard because well, it, it's all in textbooks, and there's a degree to which you can portray historical facts mm. in one perspective's favor. Mm. Um, one way you can do that for the um, Hong Kong or Chinese side, at least, is highlighting the um, specifically bad <clears throat> atrocities, like um, the massacres and the genocide. Yeah, Nanking. Yeah, um, that's a big one. And details about <clears throat> certain things that they would do to prisoners of war or civilians. So I think having that taught to, you know, school kids, um, definitely well contributed to you know some of the uh how do we put this i don't know unpleasant mm. views thoughts that um some of the other kids might have had towards me at the time mind you this was only for like two three weeks and then after that you know kids forget and then just yeah. fizzled out so yeah. it's not really a big deal for me personally um yeah. I'm, i don't hang on to it but I just remember remember it happened. Mm. Um, I don't specifically remember a class where I learned like World War II history, but I do like remember people saying like talking about how Japan bombed Pearl Harbor and that's like horrible, or like it's okay that the U.S. bombed Japan with the atomic bomb. Mm. They never really talked about how, like, America had an embargo policy against Japan mm. that led to, like, um, very scarce resources. Like, I'm not defending either side. I think everyone is wrong in a war. Yeah. But I do feel mm. that um, in the U.S., the history was taught one way. Mm. In Japan, yeah. on the other hand, I felt like it was more fact-based not fact-based but like less emotional yeah well i felt like obviously full disclaimer we don't really want to go into too much politics on yes. this podcast but right. i think it's a pretty important point to get through because as we all share a certain part of japanese culture and history it is important to acknowledge what happened right yep and the kind of trend that i see is that in history you kind of the victim always remembers and would kind of portray it emotionally a certain point of history. So like, as Jane said, the Americans would kind of talk a lot about Pearl Harbor, like motto, right? And then yeah. the the mass- Nanking massacres and stuff would be probably um, yeah. <clears throat> emphasized. Yeah. And for me, because I went through full public education in Japan, it was like, as Jane said, it was quite fact-based. I don't feel like there was too much sentiment towards one particular thing, except for the atomic bombs. Mm. I think that was very, like, I had to watch Hadashi no Gen. Or, I, was that a manga? That was a manga. Mm. I watched, um, oh, what's it called? But I had to watch, like, one of the Ghibli movies um relating to like one of the bombings yeah that one mm. but maybe was that kushu or 
Genbaku. But that was Genbaku. Okay. Because、yeah. there was like so much about Genbaku. And for us, it's like,、um, I think the sentiment behind education was that, you know, war is bad.、Mm-hmm. And we are victims of such atrocious war crimes. And we must not let it happen again. But there wasn't too much of、um, the reasoning behind we actually did a lot of that too. Yeah.、Um, and the reason I find it really interesting is because there is a new movie coming out called Oppenheimer, and,、wow. which is, you know, it, it's basically the story behind the invention. invention and the development of the atomic bomb. And I think it's going to be, it's done by Christopher Nolan. I think it's going to be a really cool movie just because of like the, the drama behind it. And that's what's been portrayed in Australia. And it's, it's been in, you know, in all the ads and in the trailers. I'm going to go watch an opening night with two of my happy friends. It's going to be an absolute blast, literally. But、um, <laughs> the interesting thing is, there's no release date in Japan. Oh, really? So they're being really sensitive about it. Mm. So, so Jane, you can't watch it. It's gatekept. It's been censored. Yeah. Have Ghibli Just、movies. like other things. <laughs> What? I don't get it. Sorry. Nah, we'll cut that out.、Oh, I'm keeping that. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, I think that's a very interesting thing because I never thought that it's a really big movie. Like, And it's, it's going to be a hit probably together with Barbie. And yet it's not, it says Mite, so like、um, undecided. Kokaibi Mite, undecided. But I feel like it's not going to be released, or at least in the theaters, maybe on like streaming. Maybe, maybe. But yeah, to me, that's, it's like such a big thing. And it's been going on like around the world and in terms of trailers and memes. Yeah. See, that didn't occur to me that it would be、um, like censored so much in Japan. Well, maybe censored is the wrong word, but I mean, to a degree. Restricted, yeah. 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 But I mean, it, it kind of makes sense if you think about it in terms of the sentiment towards nuclear weapons in general.、Um, although, to my knowledge, the movie is more about the,、um, the lead scientist、yeah. who, who developed it. And、um, from what the trailer depicts, my impression of it is that. He also has like his personal struggle with like,、yeah. it, like the implications of it. Yeah. And the realization that you built this weapon that can kill millions. Yeah. You know, very like, it's so interesting with like technological advances. It's like, never has humanity ever like <clears throat> stopped using or stopped advancing a. Like technology,、um, except nuclear weapons. That is the only example I can think of in human history where technology was developed to a point and everyone said, hey, maybe we should stop. Yeah. So far, though. So far. AI? So far. Yep. It's coming for that throne. But you tell me. I was just checking the news and apparently Japan did、um, ban the release. Oh, okay. Yeah, but、okay. that's like it's confusing for me because, as you said, it's at least looking at the trailer, there is there shouldn't be much content like 
within the movie related to the actual dropping of the bomb. Mm. It's more about the development. Yep. So, but then again, that's only the trailer. Maybe there's a lot in it. Like maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I'll have to update the the um podcast gang after the movie. Yeah, and it's also not like it glorifies it specifically as yeah, well, exactly. to my knowledge. So, so it's a bit of a confusing point for me. Yeah, I would want to. If anybody wants some illegal pirating, um, who's living in Japan who wants to watch Oppenheimer, I'm happy to record. Please, for legal reasons, that was a joke. <laughs> legal reasons that's the joke for legal reasons that's your joke anyway <laughs> but yeah. um yeah that's i think the part about technology is a really interesting point that you made and which has kind of led me to another question um there might be skipping a few um timelines but we we always like to ask our guests what are they doing right now? Like, what's going on in your life? What's your careers? And how has being half Japanese or your background um, affected you in making choices or making choices in the future? Right. So currently, I'm a uh, research student at my university in a lab that <clears throat> investigates how uh, humans control muscle with their nervous system. Um, yeah, which is quite interesting. I should be finishing up that by the end of the year. And, um, well, that's what I'm doing right now. Nice. Yeah. Um, medical school afterwards would be the dream. That's yes. the goal right now. Yep. Um, and then, you know, some people would assume, oh, you're Asian. You want to be a doctor? Did your parents force you? No, absolutely not um yeah i mean when i first told my mom she like nearly fell out of her chair um mm. she always thought that i was going to go down like the engineering route because i used to play with legos all the time as a kid okay very <laughs> yeah but um actually on the point of asian parents and well because since you asked how my asian upbringing has maybe affected yeah. my career choices i'd say um i've had the luxury if you can call it that that my parents were not the stereotypical high pressure kind of asian parent who would lucky, lucky. yeah <laughs> want me to get really good grades or anything it wasn't anything like that yeah. but they my dad did always stress that um what if i choose to do um try to be the best at it mm. So, yeah, there's that, I guess. But the reason I hesitated to say um, the luxury of not having pressure is that at the same time, um, because there wasn't that much pressure, sometimes I would go too easy on myself, which has been the downfall of me at some points of my educational career. Would you like to elaborate on that or not? Uh, okay, here we go. So in high school, I was a pretty high achieving student, I like to think. So I was in, involved in um, at least two sports throughout my five years, um, two of the school bands, prefect, and um, good academic achievement as well, to the point that I earned something called a provisional entry into 
medical school, which in Australia and at least my university means that after graduating high school, if your grades were good enough and then a external test that you took for medical school was good enough, they would give you a provisional place in post-grad medical school, but you would have to go take an undergraduate course first and you would have to maintain a GPA, um, G, like a decent GPA during that undergrad. Yep. That's all you had to do to progress the dream straight into med school afterwards. Um, and it, and it's not exactly like a hard requirement either, but then, um, yeah, during the three years of my undergrad, which was also during COVID, not that it excuses my laziness, but yeah, I guess it didn't help, but I guess the responsibility is still on me to, you know, watch my lectures, do my assignments, et cetera. And then I got lazy and kind of didn't do that. Yeah, to the point that my grade slipped so bad that the uni notified me and said, hey, um, your grades slipped too low. We're going to take away your provisional spots. So yeah, find some other way to earn your way back into med school, which is why I find myself doing my <clears throat> research now. Um, to get back in. To get back in. I mean, at one point, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to, <clears throat> you know, make my way back into med school. And I thought, okay, I'll mm -hmm. give research a shot just for the sake of research. But here I am. Um, now I've got that drive back in the discipline as well to work my way back into med school. It's a lot harder, which is, I guess, my punishment <laughs> for my laziness in my undergrad years. But um, yeah, this yeah. is my redemption arc. Yes, sir. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing your trauma. <laughs> if you can call it that. I may have coerced you to talk about that. Um, I feel like it was a bit surprising to me that you didn't exactly have that pressure that so many Asian um, children would kind of resonate with in terms yeah. of um, working hard and, and kind of being forced to do um, some subjects taking some, some courses <laughs> or the stem courses yeah um but yeah i hope your research goes well and you can thank you, you, get, you. you can get back to med that wasn't forced onto you in the first place that you want no it wasn't do. so it, it's really me yeah I part of part good. of it's i guess proving to myself that i'm worthy again yeah also korean medicine is also amazing of course but yeah there you go that's my story <laughs> that's your story there you have it yeah okay um i have another question mm. and it kind of just goes back in the timeline of when you moved to australia how did that impact you in a general sense and how did that impact you in terms of finding your identity between hong kong and japan and did that add another identity into in australia right okay um very interesting so i guess i should uh preface this with the fact that my dad also moved to Australia when he was a kid. Oh. From Hong Kong. So he was also around 12 years old when he moved here. Okay. And did high school and uni before going back to Hong Kong. So um as a kid so when I was in Hong Kong as a kid I'd already heard bits and pieces about Australia and what it's like. And also I had come back to visit my grandparents who lived here. Okay. So when I moved here, it wasn't completely foreign to me. Mm. Um, 
And you had an Australian friend that you played around with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all those factors, I'd say, um, helped a lot compared to maybe someone who would be a completely fresh immigrant with no connection to Australia. Mm -hmm. So um, there's that, I guess. Um, Although there are, of course, still things I had to get used to. Um, The accent. (laughs) <laughs> um, funnily enough, I had an American accent when I was in Hong Kong because all the cartoons on TV were, uh, you know, Cartoon Network, yeah, Ameri- American, American, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. There you go. Um, that's minor, but in terms of like the way people are and how life is in Australia, I actually preferred it to Hong Kong mm-hmm. because Hong Kong, everything was very much um, fast pace, high stress um very crowded whereas over here it's much more relaxed people are friendly and um yeah um cleaner air (laughs) and just better environment in general so um i wouldn't say it's something that i struggled with i actually liked quite quite a lot and then my high school had also a lot of you know lots of international backgrounds for the students so being in that environment i guess helped the fact that i was you know half japanese half hong Mm -hmm. kong chinese so um i'd like to say that i'm quite fortunate in that sense that i didn't really have that hard of an experience when i first came here yeah well yeah that's good i think i know that you're um dad moved as well um probably helped a lot yeah that's great a a lot yeah for sure yeah yeah Yeah. sorry if this has turned out to be a bit boring not at all yeah i really appreciate the the sort of new perspectives that you've um, brought to this podcast and um you mentioned how hong kong is like high pace Mm -hmm. crowded yep and like stressful kind of thing yep that sounds a lot like japan as well yeah <laughs> what's the difference that you because i've never been to another asian country aside from japan yep so all i know is japan versus australia versus like the uk that i've been to so yeah what's the difference okay so the three things that we mentioned were um that are in common like i guess between japan and hong kong yes that's true uh and i don't really particularly like um, many of those things on their own but Mm. the reason that in my opinion japan is so much better while having those aspects is the fact that you have um a lot of everything's orderly Mm. everything's clean people are very respectful and courteous and um it's just society functions at least on the outside so smoothly that even though you have all the things like the fast paced um, busyness and the crowdedness, I guess, working against it, all those other things help make the experience much more pleasant. And in a way, I very much appreciate those aspects about, mm. um, you know, things being orderly, cleanliness, people being respectful, courteous, and mindful of each other. So I guess that would be the key things that set hong kong or any similar fast-paced stressful asian city or country to japan Mm. 
Fair enough. That's yeah, a, that's a great answer. <laughs> I've never been, but um, I mean, I, I I still assume there must be so many good places, good places in Hong Kong to visit. And <laughs> oh, food's amazing. Yeah, like international probably. cuisine in Hong Kong, you can find good food from like every international cuisine you can think yeah. of, all in Hong Kong. And isn't amazing. that isn't that um apartment where the, the train goes through the building? Is that in Hong Kong? Or is that that is that is. I actually used to um drive well drive past that um most days when i was getting driven to school in primary school i, I used to no see way. that all the time yeah so cool yeah and, and like the what is it? there's like a mountain right that you can kind of climb up that you can see over over the, the whole view of the city yeah uh i think you're thinking of maybe there's a lot of them um Pacific Peak, something peak. Um, I can't remember the name all of a sudden, but I know that mountain you're talking about is, yeah, yeah it's it's this um viewing spot that lets you oversee the entire harbor of um. Mm. There's, um, Hong Kong is made up of like three main islands, and it's like between two of the islands is this big channel that's like a harbor with built up buildings on either side. And yeah, it's mm. a, it's a very nice view, but uh, yeah. Although I do want to <laughs> bring back to an um bring it back to a point in the difference between Hong Kong and Japan um, yeah. is to do with the language. I mean, yeah. because, well, I mean, duh, but um, like Japanese is like so polite. Like mm-hmm. there, there is no swearing as such. Yeah. Like, would you agree? Yeah. Like, yeah. Mean... Jane, you as well? I agree. There's no yeah. words like F word, S word. Yeah, there, there's no swearing word that would have to get bleeped out on TV for being swearing as yeah. such. <laughs> Whereas Cantonese, even worse than like Australian English, is it's basically in the language and especially the Hong Kong culture to be swearing every other sentence. <laughs> so it's really funny. Um, yeah, I just thought that would be an interesting point to throw out, but. <laughs> Yeah, no, that is. Yeah. And it kind of connects on to another question I have about language. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that this is something that has been discussed before in the podcast. How have you dealt with your Japanese language and mm-hmm. your heritage and how, what you've been doing to to learn if you have? And what are your opinions on that? Right. Okay. So um, let's go back to the start. As a baby, I was maybe not a baby, but as a young child, when I could start learning how to speak, um, I was taught English and Japanese. And might I add, my first word as a baby was pun. Let's get that bread. Yep. So for those of you who don't know, that's just the Japanese word for bread in Japanese. I started saying pa, pa, and then my dad's like, oh, he's going to say papa, and then like smiles (laughs) at my mom saying, I've beat you. And then... And then out came pun because all because like my parents would feed me bread breadsticks as a baby to keep me quiet from yeah. Anyway, back to um language. I learned English and Japanese as a young child. That's what my parents preferred to teach me. And then around kindergarten, I had to start learning Cantonese to fit in with the other kids. Um apparently, I don't remember this, but apparently. For me, it was quite hard at first, and I came home crying after the first day of kindergarten because I couldn't mm-hmm. understand anyone else. But um, after that, all three languages basically were de- being learnt in parallel 
mm. all throughout primary school, maybe with Japanese lagging behind because it wasn't mm. taught in school. But at home, at least I had Kumon learning sheets to learn my hiragana and katakana. Kumon, <laughs> Yeah. So there was that. And then there was quite a shift once I came to Australia to start middle school and high school is that much less use of Cantonese besides at home and with, like, with my grandparents, right? Because there was nowhere else to speak it. English um, was being used every day, but I was already quite fluent. So besides the accent change from American to Australian, um, there wasn't much change. And then Japanese um, was probably around when I was 13, 14. All the other kids around me were watching anime. Mm. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of that and a lot of consumption of anime and Japanese media. Um, mm. And uh, going back to the point of how that affects my language, <laughs> I think Marcel's actually um, raised this point before to me is that I speak Japanese in an overly dramatic way, similar with some influence to anime. So I've been trying to dial back on that. I've noticed that. Yeah. You've yeah. been trying. <clears throat> yeah. Marcel said I sounded like the drama kid. <laughs> yeah. So I think that the anime definitely didn't help. I don't watch it as much. I still watch it, but I try to stay mindful of the differences between regular Japanese and anime Japanese. You can still watch it. Yeah, yeah, of course. I didn't deter you from watching it or something. No, no, you haven't. I still do watch it. I just keep in mind more. I also have a bigger range of like Japanese media to absorb my Japanese from. So like I mentioned at the start of the podcast, Japanese football. Yeah. So um, Japanese uh, YouTubers and just general um, Japanese TV programs or match broadcasts Mm. that are all commentated and spoken in Japanese. I've been getting a lot of Japanese from that. And in once I got to university, I also took a couple of um, Japanese language courses as well. Mm. And of course, just throughout my life, just at home, it was just Japanese with mum. Mm. And my mum also speaks in a very dramatic way. So that probably also added. <laughs> to, uh, if yeah. you were to rank the three languages, which one, like to, from best to worst, what would it be? Best to worst or most fluent to least fluent? Uh, most fluent to least fluent. Right now, I would say it goes English, Japanese, Cantonese. Oh, interesting. I thought What's... you were more fluent in Cantonese. Oh, no, it's just... I don't understand the Cantonese. Well, true, but the fact that I don't speak it besides with... Yeah, I've never heard you speak it. So... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Besides with some Cantonese, like, family friends of my dad and dad's side of the family, there's not much that I use it for anymore. So, hmm, you use it or lose it, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. What's your yeah. favorite anime right now? My favorite anime right now? Oh, jeez. Hmm. Vinland Saga, I'd say. I don't know. Have either of you two watched that one? No. I don't know. It's been... Um, What's it in Japanese? Like the title? It's still Vinlanda Saga. It's about Viking. It's like an old old name for Newfoundland, which is in yeah. like Canada. Yeah. And a story of how like Vikings back then first discovered it. Um, but Vinland Saga was actually um, quite popular on like TikTok for a while. But I, 
I didn't get it from TikTok, but it was very popular on TikTok for a while for the you have I have no enemies meme. Have you seen that one? I have no enemies. Yeah. No, wait. It's very interesting because it's like the culmination of this character mm-hmm. who goes from super like vengeful to eventually being at peace. Mm. That's where the um <laughs> that's where the meme comes from, but anyway. Is that? Mm. I think um, all our fellow anime enthusiasts listening would um, probably understand what you're talking about and <laughs> agree with you um, about Finland. Finland, it's spelled a V. It's it's weird. I know. Yeah. Well, it's been great to have you on. Um, Thank you. I think you've added a lot of new perspectives um, to the podcast and it's been great to listen to how you think about, you know, the things and as a happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the, the whole point of the podcast is to bring that sort of new ideas that people will want to hear about life as a happy and for the listeners to kind of um, get a chance to introspect about their own identities. Yeah. We're just trying to give back to the community as a whole and trying to understand ourselves better. Um, so yeah thank you very much for coming along no is, thank you yeah, yeah is there mm-hmm. anything that you would like to add um, in terms of things to talk about do you have a, any message to your fellow happies into the world all right <laughs> <laughs> uh, well first of all thank you for having me on um, it's given me a chance to just be introspective as well and get some of my thoughts in order in terms of mm. identity and culture and all those things so it was it was very nice thank yeah. you and um, yeah, for all the all the halfies out there, you know we're all incredibly unique. Um, as you know, just between the three of us, we all have such different backgrounds and upbringings, and the factors that change how we see ourselves. So, um, don't feel like a need that you need to conform to anything. But um, yeah, find yourself. Um, find out why you feel the way you do, and then be accepting and. Uh, yeah. Thank you for listening. Please follow our Instagram and YouTube at the glass is half full.